Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Fieldhouse Files is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that Pacers and tickets league-wide in the NBA tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks tickets in real time from thousands of trusted sellers and then shows you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. And Pacer fans, you have a home-friendly schedule coming up over the next couple of weeks. Five of their next six games are at home, beginning on Saturday against Milwaukee, an opportunity for you to see Giannis on Tedekumbo up close and in person. While you're on the GameTime app, you can use their in-app panoramic seat view to see photos from every section, but keep in mind, they're not limited to sports tickets. They also have music and theater tickets available. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download the GameTime app and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. And welcome into another episode of the Fieldhouse Files. I'm Scott Agnes. Well, on today's podcast, we're going to focus on Malcolm Brogdon. He was drafted by the Bucks, 36th overall in 2016, and then spent his first three seasons playing for the Bucks, and then was part of a sign-and-trade deal this summer that netted him a four-year deal worth $85 million. It's his first big contract and a substantial upgrade from the $1.5 million he earned last season. This is a special crossover podcast between the Fieldhouse Files and here the Deer podcast. So to discuss Brogdon, who he is today, and what made him special with the Bucks, I'm joined by Eric Name, our Bucks writer and the host of the Here the Deer podcast. Eric, let's first start with how the Pacers landed on Brogdon. Um, it was an interesting situation there on the first day of free agency, really, um, for the Pacers front office. They had to work quickly along with, obviously, executives with the rest of the league and what turned things a little bit for the Pacers was Nikola Mirotic him opting to sign overseas rather than with the Jazz the Jazz then offered Boyan Bogdanovic 73 million over four years that'll take him to age 34 and was something the Pacers just weren't comfortable with the dollar figure and the age as they tried to get younger now Brogdon he's just 26 and they had a deal with Ricky Rubio kind of on the five yard line but then the Phoenix Suns offered him $51 million over three years. So the Pacers then pivoted, working with Jeff Schwartz, the agent for Rubio. He also represents Jeremy Lamb. They got that deal completed, then worked with the Bucks. They called the Bucks to see how open they were to moving Brogdon. But I know, Eric, you were following on, on that first day of free agency that the Bucks perhaps were even calling around too, trying to gather up interest with Brogdon, right? Yeah, I mean, with with the Bucks, it was they had a bunch of things to juggle uh, on that first day of free agency. I mean, in many ways, just like the Pacers, they were trying to figure out what the dollar figure would be for Chris Middleton. Uh, they were trying to figure out what the dollar figure would be for Brooke Lopez. They had uh, George Hill. They had Nikola Mirotic. Uh, they were kind of trying to figure out all of this and. 
I think at the same time, they were trying to figure out how much they wanted to pay Malcolm Brogdon and uh, kind of what his role may look like going forward for the Bucks. And I think they had a level of concern about the the luxury tax going forward. Obviously, uh, as the as the season has kind of gone on, uh, we got to have a a chat with the ownership group. And, you know, I asked pretty much that exact question, you know, how much did the luxury tax come into play? And, you know, both Jamie Dynan and Mark Lazary brought up the fact that they were concerned about the repeater tax coming into play when, you know, in the future they will have to dip in the luxury tax when they sign Giannis to the extension, which uh, might be getting ahead of themselves a little bit. Uh, don't want to, sure. you know, for, for sure no, think that you're going to pay Giannis Dinakumbo. So I think they might have got ahead of themselves a little bit and worried about the luxury tax this year. And then I think they worried about how much they'd be paying a guy in Malcolm Brogdon who, who has, I mean, in his three years in Milwaukee, struggled to stay on the floor. Uh, you're looking at a season of 75 games in his rookie year, 48 in his second year, and then 64 in his third year in Milwaukee, obviously with an injury at the end of last year that kept him up from the start of the playoffs as well. So I think there was some concern over his his durability. There was some concern over what role he would play in Milwaukee and then how much they'd be paying for that role and how that would affect them in the luxury tax. So uh, with all that in mind, they, they kind of considered th- some things and – I think they were poking around a little bit, trying to figure out what the market may be for Malcolm Brogdon. And, uh, I mean, it turns out that they found a, a partner in the Indiana Pacers. To me, the the decision for them seemed to be twofold from the outside. It seemed to be, one, how comfortable were they getting into the luxury tax? And, two, what needs to be done to make Giannis happy? And in your mind, how much does Malcolm contribute to their their previous success and, in turn, helping towards re-signing Giannis, because that's the end game here. If you don't re-sign Giannis, all this doesn't much matter. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's the biggest thing. And, you know, like I've told Bucks fans before, and they call me crazy, that, you know, uh, signing Giannis is almost more important than winning a championship this year. Like, the, the, I know that's heresy, and winning a championship is obviously what you're after. And if you win a championship, you probably get to sign Giannis anyways. Uh, but securing the future of your franchise and uh, i mean signing Giannis is what does that you, it's six years of Giannis Nakumbo means you are really going to have yourself a, a good future and to me that's the thing that really matters and I, that's kind of been the tough thing to see thus far and i know we're going to talk a little bit about how how the bucks look different or better or worse without malcolm but to me, I think that 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 literal question that you asked me about, you know, how does this impact attempting to sign Giannis going forward lingers over this entire season. And, you know, it's it's very possible that the Bucks still win 60 games this year. And it's very possible that the Bucks are still the f- favorites in the Eastern Conference. And, it, and it's, again, possible that they win a championship this year. But. You know, when I look at this roster, I think it's worse. Like, I don't I don't think it's as good as it was last year. And I think they're going to be wondering here. I think they're wondering here right now as they watch Malcolm Brogdon light it up in Indiana. And <laughs> I think they're going to be wondering this same thing at the end of the year uh, as they approach the playoffs. You know, did we do the right thing last summer? I don't think that question's going anywhere. There's no definitive answer right now, uh, but I, it's, it's going to continue to linger and 
that has been uh, somewhat annoying to Bucks fans that I think they're tired of hearing me talk about Malcolm Brogdon, but uh, that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, and to that end, dealing with two similar franchises with similar markets is what I mean by that. It's not very often, these two teams, because neither one of them, realistically, without a star player, is going to go out in free agency and sign a guy, top five, even top 15 probably caliber guy like Giannis clearly is. So that's something both franchises have to weigh in. And that's for the Pacers side of that. That's why they didn't want to get rid of Paul George. They had long-term plans for him. But once that superstar is turned off and already has a foot out the door, there's not much coming back from that that you can do. Yeah, and I mean, I I think Giannis is still incredibly happy in Milwaukee. And I think... I'd love that. I think that's great for this league. Um, yeah, to, to not absolutely. only have those big teams thriving, but to also have some of these small market teams with a a force for good. Yeah, and and I mean, I think he's incredibly happy in Milwaukee. I think as long as they win a bunch this year, he still signs on the dotted line in July next off season uh, when he gets the chance to sign that supermax extension, which is the biggest contract in NBA history if he does sign it at that at that moment. So I think they're still in a good spot there, but. As as you mentioned, you know, if you get to the Eastern Conference Finals and all of a sudden you need a a third scorer and you don't have one, I think it's going to be hard for Giannis or anyone in his in his crew of people, his agent or you know anyone around the Bucks, not to think about last summer and the fact that they traded away Malcolm Brogdon. And Chris Middleton's now missing several weeks at least. I've never been high that much on Eric Bledsoe. In fact, I would have taken Brogdon over Bledsoe, but if I recall right, they gave Bledsoe an extension earlier in the year, which kind of disrupted then what they were able to do this previous summer. Yeah, they they signed him to uh, an early extension, one that you know is on the cheap side. the The guaranteed money on it is, I think, three years, fifty one million. Uh, there's a fourth year in there with some options and stuff like that, but three years, fifty one million is the guarantee and. I think they felt good about that because it was a relatively low number. Uh, and again, 17 is relatively low. I say that because, you know, obviously point guards can get paid much higher in the league and get paid much lower. So it's kind of a, a middle spot for point guards. I think they were extremely happy that, you know, they were able to lock in one of the, you know, five, five contracts that they were going to have to worry about in the summer. Locking it in early, I think they were happy about that. But also, I, I do have to wonder, uh, you know, as it came down to it, does it kind of affect the way that Malcolm Brogdon perceives his future in Milwaukee? Like, one thing that both you and I found out uh, in Las Vegas was that Malcolm was very serious about playing point guard and was very serious about being more of a lead ball handler. Well, if the other guy in Milwaukee gets signed to three years, $51 million, and he plays point guard, well... That that means you're not going to play point guard, right? So uh, I, I think it's it's going to be impossible to, you know, untangle all of last off season. But I think especially the the Bledsoe early extension in comparison to to Brogdon going into restricted free agency. Weekends are made for football, and with so many college and pro games on the slate, the DraftKings Sportsbook app can make your weekend even better. Actually, with all the hoops and football action going on, 
The DraftKings Sportsbook app can get you in on the action 24-7, 365 days a year. This week, DraftKings has a pro football promo you won't want to miss. It's simple. Just bet on Indianapolis to win and get $6 for every touchdown they score. Indy's sticking with Adam Vinatieri this week. They might see Jacoby Brissett most likely back into the lineup. It'll make things interesting as they look for a bounce-back win against Jacksonville. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code FAST. For a limited time, all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. That's code FAST for all new and existing users to get a deposit bonus up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Indiana only. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Yes, and thus far... Malcolm's numbers have been outwardly or outworldly. They've been the best of his career. Most notably, he goes from three assists per game to more than eight and a half. And in his first year with the team, was voted a captain amongst a group that's not very vocal. Um, but there, he has the nickname the president, right, for a reason. But let's get back to this this summer and that deal. And the most interesting part in all this is how it went down. Where. From what I was told, Herb Simon, the Pacers owner, he's the longest tenured owner in the NBA, very much has that old school frame of mind. And when this was a deal informed by Kevin Pritchard, the Pacers president, he kind of, what I was told, he kind of took over the room. And then he made a call to one of the Bucks owners, and the Bucks ownership's a little bit different in that, right, they have rotating ownership every couple of years, what have you. Mm-hmm. So he made the call to at least one of their owners, and hashed out the final parts and essentially asked, what's it going to get take to get it done? And essentially, they dis- they decided on two second-round picks and a top-20 protected first-round pick. So I think in turn, after the Bucks decided they weren't going to pay him and were moving on, I think it worked out very well for both franchises. Yeah, I mean, it, the call went into Mark Lazary, and, and Lazary had just taken over the the governor's seat. Uh, as you mentioned, it rotates every five years. So first five years, they had owned the franchise. Wes Eden's had it. Now Mark Lazary had it. Uh, and, I mean, to me, that was kind of his first big move. That, you know, that was the first big decision as himself in, in that seat, trying to decide what it was. And, you know, him and him – and, uh, Mr. Simon got together and figured it out. And I, I, to me, it's it's really interesting to think through that uh, you could have a, a trade, you know, in, in kind of the modern NBA where two owners sort of go through the details, go through the negotiations. And, you know, it's, it's, it's Mark Lazary and Herb Simon that are sitting here trying to do something and, and eventually obviously uh, all the gms got involved and they figured out all the details but uh you know to have a situation where they they go to that upper level immediately and not the opposite way around where general managers work something out and then talk to ownership and say hey this is what we're thinking about are you cool with it right like, they just that, go to it, them it, for final approval that's generally how it works unless you're dealing with a superstar yeah so it's it just it it's it's a weird bit of uh, NBA transaction like it just just the fact that that's kind of how it went down was obviously highly unusual um, but I mean this is this is why it sits at at the step of ownership for the Bucks in not uh, you know like if this move goes wrong uh, Mark Lazary is the guy that's answering the questions like not necessarily John Horace because 
Mark Lazary is the one that kind of pushed it through and negotiated it. And, and I guess on the other side, it would be Herb Simon mm-hmm. that would would be the one that if the if the Brogdon move doesn't go right, obviously it's going well uh, at the moment, uh, that, you know, it'll be on him. So it, it is just this weird kind of situation where uh, those guys did it in, in, instead of uh, the normal decision makers. And from the Pacers' standpoint, I think the only criticism in my mind could come from maybe what those picks end up being. Let's say things went south this season and the Pacers then cough up that protected first-round pick. I, I think overall it's easily worth it for them to offer that kind of money to a guy they've believed in. They Their interest in him goes back to the 2016 draft, but so many teams had red flags on Brogdon because of his injury history um, that dated back to the University of Virginia. Um, and, and, I mean, and, and that to, would be the other thing, too, is if he just can't stay healthy. Like Obviously, we're, we're through 11 games, and... You know, I'm not I'm not trying to wish an injury on anyone, of course. <laughs> sure. uh, but that I mean, that would be the other way is, you know, if the picks come through or if Malcolm Brogdon just just can't stay healthy uh, once he gets to Indiana. And obviously they, they're paying him quite a bit and leaning on him quite a bit. If if that health it does end up faltering, uh, that would be I think that would be the other way, too. And that's why you can understand, at least from Malcolm's standpoint, why he would want this. He goes from making something like one and a half million, I think, each of the last couple of years to his salary ballooning to nearly twenty million per year. So he, he stays with a stable franchise, a stable situation, uh, a situation where he knows he's at least going into the playoffs and he's going to get paid. And and I think he knew that this was his one big contract. Like you, you mentioned the fact that you know he was. He's younger than Bogdanovich, which is why he was attractive to Indiana. But, you know, this is still his age 27 season. Uh, and by the time this contract is up, he'll go to his age 31 season. And then teams will be saying the same thing that the Pacers are saying about Bogdanovich, right? That, oh, we don't want to pay that next contract. We don't want to pay mm-hmm. him when he's 32, 33, 34. So for Malcolm, since he entered the league at a later stage because he spent his five years at Virginia uh, because he was on this, uh, he was on a second round contract. That wasn't very big. Like this was, this was his moment. You know, this was his time that if he wanted to get a big contract, he had to fully capture that moment and fully, you know, take advantage as much as he could, which is, uh, I think a part of it too, why uh, you look at, you know, the way that his group handled it, uh, with Daniel Cantor, his agent, really kind of making sure that they did everything that they could to leverage the situation and get him as much money as possible. And to be clear, what I should also add is the fact that he was pick 36, second-round draft pick, so he had a different type of contract. So after three years, he became a restricted free agent. So the Bucks, um could have technically matched any offer, and in part, that's also why the Pacers wanted to get a deal done. They didn't want to play in restricted free agency because, uh, again, Herb Simon, the Pacers owner, he's been a guy that doesn't like to, to bid against other teams. He doesn't like to necessarily, quote-unquote, steal other teams' players, and that's why he felt he desired to give the Bucks some kind of compensation for one of their guys. And, uh, I mean, for the Bucks too, like at least here there's some guarantee that, uh, you know, the Pacers don't, give some sort of outlandish offer where you really don't want to pay that, but you've, you've backed yourself in a corner where, all right, well, the offsheet's out. We either can match it or not match it. So we either have to pay this guy an amount of money we don't uh, you know, want to pay or we can let him go. So I think that'd be the other thing, too. I'd be fascinated to know how high the Pacers were willing to go if they had to do that, if they did have to 
make an offer sheet and hope that the Bucks will match it. Like, you know, is he making twenty five million a year instead of twenty one million a year? Maybe. Like, I, I don't is know he, if the Pacers are willing to go that high. And on the same light, where is it? Is he doing it in Sacramento <laughs> Correct. Correct. or Orlando? Or, again, he's at Indiana where they've made the playoffs 24 the last 30 years. And as much as, guys, number one, it's about the money. Secondly, you want a stable franchise in a winning situation. Uh, absolutely. There, there, there are a ton of what-ifs in that situation, <laughs> I think, on both sides, both for the Bucks and the Pacers. And then that's not even – throwing in the what-ifs of what ifs of every other team in the league that might have possibly wanted to offer him money. So you're just looking at all of these dis- different scenarios, which is, you know, I think essentially what the Pacers were paying for. Like, they yep. they paid for cost certainty at a certain level on the contract, and they paid for the certainty of actually getting the guy as opposed to, all right, we put an offshoot out, maybe we get him, maybe we don't, and we're not sure we're going to be tied up for – you know, seven, eight days if we do. So uh, I think that that's essentially what the cost was, right? And like that first round pick and the two second rounders was, all right, we actually get this guy and we don't have to go through everything else. So let's dive into Malcolm a little bit, Eric, here. And obviously one key thing is inj- injury status, right? The fact that he played in 112 of 164 possible games the last two years. Um, so that's an obvious concern. But there was also a little bit of a backup right at the point guard spot. You have former uh, Indiana player talking about George Hill, the Broad Ripple uh, product, uh, Eric Bledsoe, then Brogdon in there. Brogdon played more of the two. Um, how did he contribute to the Bucks most, and, and where where did they benefit the most from having him on the team? Yeah, he was there starting two last year. So he, he was not playing on the ball every single night. He was playing off ball. And, you know, I've mentioned this on other podcasts and in my writing and stuff. Like, he never really, to his credit, and, and you know, I mean, I think this is part of the reason why he was able to get as big of a contract as he was, was, you know, he never really voiced that displeasure while he was in Milwaukee. Like, he never loudly proclaimed that I should have the ball more or does, said that. Does Eric he do anything to- loudly, though? I haven't I haven't seen no. it here in Indy though just yet. No, no, he definitely doesn't. But <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm saying is that you know yeah. he there there was no inkling you know during his time in Milwaukee other than you know sometimes in transition calling his own number a little bit more than I think Bucks fans would have preferred uh, when you're running in transition with a guy like Giannis. Uh, you know, aside from that, there wasn't really any thought that he wanted to have the ball in his hands more that he wanted to be a point guard. So. I mean, I think everyone thought everything was pretty good last year when he was a shooting guard. And the thing that he offered was the Bucks' two key drivers, initiators, are obviously Giannis and Eric Bledsoe. Uh, and then Brogdon was really the guy that, you know, if they had a couple extra passes, he would attack from the backside. Sometimes he would just take his defender one-on-one. And most nights, he was guarded by probably the worst player on the floor. Uh, or, and if not the, the worst player on the floor, the second worst player on the floor, uh, because you had to put your best defender on Giannis. You had to put your second best defender on Middleton. And then you probably put your, your quickest defender on Bledsoe, which left whoever was left from the wing defenders to guard Malcolm Brogdon. And that would be a, a very clear advantage as you're seeing him do it as the number one guy in Indiana. Like, I mean, th- he was getting those opportunities against another team's fourth or fifth guy and he would just get to the rack and then obviously he'd shoot threes and his three point numbers are down a little bit this year in Indiana, obviously taking a lot tougher shots. Uh, but 
he was able to put together a 50-40-90 season last year as he had 42, 43% from three, I yeah. believe. And, I mean, yeah. it, was, it was literally I, – I told Bucks fans again and again last year that you literally could not fill that role in the starting lineup more efficiently. And, and what I meant by that was that – Role that person in the in the starting lineup, the behind number one option Giannis, behind number two option Chris Middleton, and then you know maybe behind option number three and Eric Bledsoe, that fourth role like you, if the guy's putting together a 50, 40, 90 season, you literally can't be more efficient than that. You cannot get more out of that spot uh, in the starting lineup, and that's why the Bucks were so good last year. Was that up and down the roster, you were getting the most efficient looks possible from all of those players offensively. And, I mean, it, it just turned them into an absolute juggernaut last year. And that's why, to me, at least with his, with his situation here in Indy, why he truly is captain efficiency. He's efficient. He's He was named team captain, and he's reliable there. Thus far, he's suited up for all 11 games, and the Pacers have had their roster trimmed down to basically 10 guys with available um, due to injuries here, and right now his free throw numbers are ridiculous. He's 48 of 49, and that's something you need late in games. Ever wonder how to get the hottest new sneakers, the ones that barely hit the shelves? The answer is StockX, a revolutionary new marketplace for buying and selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear, watches, and handbags. Millions are already using StockX to find everything after it sells out, from the latest Yeezys to every retro Jordans to the hottest new streetwear from brands like Supreme, Palace, and Kith. With StockX, it's all about transparency, so now you can shop smarter than ever using real-time market data for everything on the site. Rest easy knowing you'll never overpay shopping on StockX. And For me in the Pacers locker room, it's much different not having those die-hard shoe guys like before, like guys like Paul George, Lance Stevenson, and Thad Young, who I believe has more than a 1,000 pairs of Nike shoes alone. If you want in on all the hype, Check out StockX.com forward slash NBA for a surprise offer that won't be around long. Um, I'll tell you this, Eric, I, at least as the number one position as point guard, the thing I've been astonished by here in the early going is his quickness to the basket. He's he's deceptively fast in my mind. Um, not quite to the level of Victor Oladipo, of course, but they needed a guy like him, and he's easily blown by some defenders and, and finished with a nice layup or reverse layup around the defense. He is – I've I've been trying to figure out how to write this article for a while, so maybe you can figure it out, Scott. But Maybe I'll would, take it from you. I, I would love <laughs> to somehow get the statistics. NBA does a lot of great tracking at this point to have a heat map of the backboard because I am convinced no one in the league uses all parts of the backboard more than Malcolm Brogdon. Like I, he gets that mm-hmm. step, and then he's strong enough to keep you on his shoulder – and then it'll be right hand high glasser. It'll be left hand reverse. It'll be right hand heavy spin from the side of the glass. Like we've seen a lot of that. Yeah. Like there'll just I, I if you put up a heat map, I'm sure he's touched every portion of the glass, and it just it, it I mean it compre- like it just <laughs> it's tough to comprehend. Like it, it defies all logic. Like ball like like the ball should not be able to fall in from that angle and then every once in a while he'll get that step and put you on his shoulder and then it's a dunk like he'll put it down on you and like it's it's really impressive to watch uh just 
his ability, like you said, it's deceptive quickness. It's a really quick first step. And then it's really just that strength that he has that he can hold you off and get all the way to the basket. It, it is really tough to stop. How did his teammates feel about him? I'm sure he was a likable guy. We have a small sample size here in, in Indy um, with guys in and out of the lineup. But how much was he leaned upon? How much did he have to speak up? Did he speak up? Because here it's been a requirement, essentially, uh, as he's been the guy. Yeah, I think earlier in Malcolm's career, like as a rookie, he he kind of came in and and just kind of impressed everyone that he was is willing to kind of lead and and be a part of something special as quickly as he was. And then, you know, over the years, Giannis grew even more and more into that role. Chris Middleton grew even more and more into that role. Eric Bledsoe came in and you know, I think as a point guard, you just kind of take on some of that naturally. So by the end of his time in Milwaukee, it it wasn't really necessary for him to to speak up and be that guy. And you look at last year's team, the I mean, the Bucks had George Hill in there as well. You had a guy like Brooke Lopez, who's mm-hmm. who's not afraid to to voice his opinions and have his opinions heard. So by the time he left last year, I mean it. He didn't really need to lead. He didn't need to have his voice heard. So uh, I, I am curious to to see how that uh, how that goes in Indianapolis. Have we got any fun commentary just yet, Eric, between the Lopez brothers? Because I know that was what we were all anticipating after uh, they both remained here in, in Bucks territory together. Uh, it the first preseason game. Uh, Brooke and Robin were were doing their thing, hitting threes and. Uh, Robin had a three and did his tea celebration, which he is known for. Uh, yeah. Brooke on the next play hit a three and did the the tea celebration. And I asked him, uh, or I asked Robin what he thought of his brother stealing his his celebration and if he got a chance to look at it. And he said it was a, a poor mimicry of what he does. And I told Brooke what Robin said a few minutes later. And Brooke said, everything Robin does is a poor mimicry of me. So uh, that we, we got it immediately from those two. That's beautiful. And I'm sure we'll have an article of something like this tracking all of them here in a few months. I think that will be good. But Pacers, Milwaukee meeting for the first time coming up uh, on Saturday. Then they'll meet again at Milwaukee um, in mid-December. That's on December 22nd. But I wanted to hit this hard for both of our audiences. But, Eric, last thing, just anything else um, standing out to you about Malcolm, the player he is, and, and the uh, what Pacer fans can expect from him the next four years? I, I mean, I, I, I'm going to flip it on you at the end here and ask you the same, just kind of what you're seeing already, because for me, this is, I, I mean, Malcolm is always one to try to silence his naysayers and you know, I think I would probably be right in his crosshairs because I, I didn't think he could produce like this as a number one option. Like, I, I just – I did not think he could handle the ball like this. I didn't think he could run an offense like this. I, I didn't think he was capable of 20 points per game and eight assists per game and five rebounds per game. And granted, it is an 11-game sample, and it's early, and, and we'll see how it all goes, but – I mean, I just didn't think he he was capable of this. So fill me in on how he's doing this, because at <laughs> at this point, I, I I really genuinely am surprised that he has been this successful so early. Well, for one, he's had to do this, right? Because you've had Victor still unavailable due to injury. Miles Turner's missed significant time. Jeremy Lamb's been out of the lineup. Edmund Sumner went down. Sabonis missed a couple games. 
that's been the story of the Pacers' start. Now they've made the most of it, going seven and four. They've won what seven of eight um, now, but they've played the easiest schedule. But with Brogdon, I was curious how it would work again with him moving to point guard because that was not necessarily what he was asked to do primarily in Milwaukee. But uh, so far, it has been seamless. Um, it's what has also been fun for me to see is especially later in games, um, he'll often move maybe off his guy if there's a better player that's gone off um, and he needs to slide over for defensive purposes. Um, there was, there's been situations in a, the preseason game um, where he did that as well because I know that's one thing where the Pacers could really use him as defensively because their focus this offseason very much off the norm was to go after offensively-minded guys, whereas normally you know they're known for being a top three, top five defensive team, um, and Brogdon fits that mold, Turner fits that mold. Um, but their other signings like TJ Warren doesn't necessarily do that. So then we saw him out on the court and for him to register double doubles like 20 and 12 in each of the first four games. And he did it again. Um, but he's just been consistently good, consistently efficient, um, essentially doing something like eight and a half assists to maybe less than three turnovers per game. Um, the one disappointment for me and selfishly, right is he hadn't been necessarily a great interview. He's very specific and, and thoughtful in what he says, but it's very short. He doesn't, it, it, he doesn't tend to elaborate much on how he's feeling um, and, and what has been working, right? It's usually two or three sentences per question. That is, that is very much the Malcolm Brogdon experience. <laughs> uh, I, I, I will say I'm, uh, I'm not necessarily happy uh, to see it go, but I'm happy to switch in uh, someone like Kyle Korver instead, because uh, Kyle Korver likes to talk a lot. To me, and Malcolm has been better than advertised, I will also say. Um, and it may, really has me excited for whenever Victor does come back and is mostly at full strength, then that it becomes, like, again, one of the top backcourts in my mind in the league um, for what those two are able to do, especially with Brogdon able to run downhill and get to the basket as quickly as he has proven he's able to do. Um, and I think their threat from both inside and out will then in turn open things up for everybody else. Yeah. I mean, I thought, I thought we'd see this Pacers team really struggle at the start of the year. And I mean, obviously the, the timeline on Victor's return isn't the most clear, uh, you, you obviously probably know it a little bit better than I do, but whenever it happens, I'm really excited to see how that pairing works and how those two work together. Because so far, I mean, Pacers slotted in six, seven, and four bucks, just one loss better. Uh, the real surprise, really, I think, has been the Miami Heat, um, who are just one spot above the Bucks in second at seven and three. As things stand right now, I think really spots one through six are probably about what they'll be is in terms of the makeup, not necessarily the order. And then the final two spots will figure themselves out. Yeah, I thought the top six is is even tougher than I thought I was going to be in the East. I thought we were going to see. Uh, probably the Sixers and the Bucks in one, two, and then three through six would have some interesting teams, but maybe not uh, as competitive as they've been. And I mean, three through six are really showing out right now. Like all those teams that we kind of had in that area, I think, you know, with the Pacers, with the Celtics, with the Heat, I, all those teams have been, I think, even better than advertised. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it all works out in the end. Good deal, man. I appreciate you jumping on, and I'll see you here coming up on Saturday. I look forward to it. He's Eric Name. I'm Scott Agnes. This has been a fun crossover podcast between Fieldhouse Files and Hear the Deer podcast. 
For my audience, if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Fieldhouse Files first by subscribing to The Athletic, and there you'll get every single episode, including our subscriber-only podcast. And right now we can continue to offer you 40% off a new subscription at theathletic.com forward slash Fieldhouse Files, and if you prefer Apple Podcasts, we're on there as well with at least one podcast per week. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to the Fieldhouse Files. Otherwise, we'll talk to you again next week. Well, what do you expect for Saturday to be like for you facing that former team? Uh, just excited to play them. It's a, for me, it's another game. Um, I'm excited to play them. Very good team still, so it'll be a good challenge. Who do you still talk with and is it very often is it still a group text uh, I talked like to I talked to a few of the guys uh, on and off you know during the season uh, not much um, but of course that all those guys are friends of mine uh, you know we uh, those are really good teammates over there you have any favorite memories that jump out to you when you think about the run you guys had uh, and maybe the growth to that point not really man just the camaraderie we had uh, we always had high character guys I had great teammates there I was always fortunate to have great vets um, so I always had good relationships do you remember where you were when you found out, uh, like July 1 or whatever it was, that you would be traded and, and sign an extension? Uh, I was actually at my, I was at my girlfriend's house uh, in Virginia, Northern Virginia. Um, I was chilling, and I found out. And, uh, you know, I was happy, honestly. It was, it's a great move for me. It's a, it's a great spot for me. Milwaukee, you know, served me best while I was there, uh, but it was time for me to move on. How did that process play out? Was it communication with maybe you and Danielle about not only money but a new situation as well? For sure. You know, I had to figure out what my options were. Uh, I had two or three teams in the mix that we were really considering. But Indiana was by far the best. It was a team I was really pushing for. Um, And my my agents made it work. Did you realize how much the Pacers liked you many years ago? I did. I did. They were, uh, I think they were supposed to draft me at 21 in my draft. Um, That fell through. I got medically sort of red flagged with my foot. but this is a place I always wanted to be. When on that on that day, did you did, was there any feeling of what I'm leaving behind? Right, where you have Giannis, where you have a team that's definitely competing. Where you're kind of unsure exactly what's happening here because of Vic's injury. Not at all. Uh, once I once I got signed and traded, I was moving on completely. I completely moved on. Um, you know, I'm happy for whatever success those guys have, but I'm not a guy that looks back and and wishes or any of that I'm happy to be with my new team I have great teammates I'm in a better situation for me how much of a we've talked about it a little bit but vocally and leadership how much of that is new versus what you didn't have to do maybe in Milwaukee it's not new to me Um, I feel like I've always been a leader but it's a new level um, and sort of a new position in terms of being that guy being that vocal leader being that guy that people look to uh, to have a voice to lead by example has this so far kind of been what you what you expected outside of the injuries and yeah, that, I mean, that injuries sort of thing, are part culture of it. Wise um, culture-wise, it's even better. Uh, this team is way more close-knit than I thought. No, the team is close-knit. The culture is even stronger. What do you miss about anything in Milwaukee? Was there uh, favorite just restaurant great teammates, or favorite? Um, great teammates. I, I ended up enjoying the city. I yeah. uh, had you know good restaurants that I went to, um, but really the camaraderie.